Welcome back to The Deeper Cut. I'm delighted to be with you again today. My name's Tim Pasek. I'm a ruling elder at Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church, and I'm joined by my partner and co-host, as always, Pastor Phil Henry, who pastors our church. He's my fellow elder and brother in Christ, and thankfully my pastor as well. So thanks for being with me again, Phil, to talk about yet another one of your sermons. Thank you. I thought you were going to say I'm your partner in crime. Well, we don't want to confess to anything on the airwaves, okay. I don't think. Okay. So. <laughs> At least not yet. We'll Other, just let people wonder about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that can remain between me and you. And maybe if we ever get another guest in here, yeah, we can uh, share with them offline mm-hmm. or off the air. But no, in, in all seriousness, it's great to be back with you. We were... Um, off last week due to some providential illness in my house. It's been going around. Um, that happens when people hang around me a lot. They get sick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it had anything to do with you, okay, Phil. But um, yeah, we the last time we met was two weeks ago, which was before the Thanksgiving holiday. Mm-hmm. Hope you had a good holiday, actually. You were telling me on our last show you were having 17 people over something along those lines I don't the think, holiday I, I don't think all those came but I think in the end it maybe it was like 11 or 12 but um, this was my fifth year roasting turkey on my charcoal grill and it was amazing oh that's good. <laughs> and that's that's me you quoting. could have in, you could have inserted a number of different adjectives there yeah that's me quoting Polly. Okay. Well, that's good. So, uh, plus, uh, because it was my fifth year, this she particularly appreciated it. it was much less stressful for her. Mm. I guess I add stress to some people's lives sometimes. <laughs> I try not to. Yeah, you're a pastor. You should be relieving, relieving well, stress. Yeah, but... Just not in your own household. In my own household, I, I, I need to make sure I'm not adding stress to people's lives. It's uh, God's sanctifying work in me. Mm. Thank God for that. Mm-hmm. He does that to all of us. So, well, I'm glad you had a nice holiday. We have Psalm 45 before us mm. today, the 13th sermon in the series that's running up through the end of this month, more or less, up to Christmas, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, some good ones left on the docket, I believe. And uh, at least one that's going to be preached by someone other than yourself. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if we can twist that preacher's arm to come okay. in and, and talk about his sermon after the fact. But I'd love it. Um, you know, you preached Psalm 45 yesterday at our church. I thought it was an excellent sermon. We were talking before we went on air, as we tend to do, have the podcast before the podcast. Um, I said you were firing on all cylinders. Mm. So um, was there something about this psalm in particular that got the juices flowing? Or, you know, what stood out in particular about about this one? We don't have to relive the question of why Mm. did you pick Psalm 45 Mm. per se. But, you know, any interesting thoughts you want to jump off with about Psalm 45 that you enjoyed in your Mm -hmm. preparation or 
you wish you would have had a little bit more time than the, uh, the limited time we are able to allot for you to preach on a Sunday morning. Well, that reminds me how much I appreciate your time for these conversations because they, um, I don't know what people who listen think, but this is as much for me as it's for anybody else. It, uh, preaching is a, is a labor of love, and I always feel a little sad when the sermon's done. And I take a look at that, speaking of turkey, I take a look at that turkey and see all the meat on the bone that, that we didn't get to enjoy. And it's good for my soul to be able to continue to be immersed in and engage and, I guess, walk with the text but in a more conversational form, it's 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 definitely uh, edifying for me. Whether it helps anyone else or not, I don't know. It helps me. Okay. So so that's two of us then. Yeah, we do this for just us. Yeah. Yeah. So having said that, I heard a sermon preached on Psalm 45 about three or four years ago by kind of a prominent preacher in our tribe or in, in the, some of the ponds that we swim in. And I was a little disappointed that it was, and, and it was preached to a, a, a group or a, I guess, it was, it was at a conference. This is an above average group. Like these are people who bought in and they're read in and they've got all the updates to the, to the operating system, you know. These are theologically minded people, and uh, the sermon disappointed me to some degree, hmm. which made me feel, I guess, a little self-conscious that I might be proud or cocky, because he's an accomplished fellow, but uh, it also reminded me I'm getting older, like I've been doing this a long time, and I, <clears throat> I wasn't the just the kid with stars in his eyes at, at a well-known preacher, I was actually, I was keeping up with him. And uh, you, you know you've entered maybe the ranks of a journeyman when you look at the master and you see that maybe he missed a few steps that could have helped the, but you're not going to tell him that. You're still learning, you're still a student, and, and I am. Uh, but one thing I noticed was he simply preached Christ from this text. And by that I mean he treated it more or less as, a, as, as completely as an allegory of Christ in the church. Without, and I may not be remembering completely, but the way I remember it in my mind was there wasn't enough uh, contextual situating of the text in an actual marriage. It does say it's a love song. Um, so, so I have the same problem. And this is a genre, by the way. Uh, the, the, the allegory of marriage is a genre in the Bible that shows up in three key places. Song of Songs, particularly in chapter 3, uh, which is probably Solomon's marriage. And then uh, Hosea 1, 2, and 3 is, is kind of a lived allegory. And then uh, Psalm 45. It's the only psalm that is a so-called love song. So I was drawn to the text because of its uniqueness in the Psalter. Hmm. 
and because of the unique challenge of preaching what I think is both a human love song of sorts, and that has to be unpacked if we want to talk about what kind of love song Psalm 45 is, but it's both a human love song and a song about the ultimate lover who's Christ. And I think both need to be preached for this psalm to be, to, to do justice to the psalm. Hmm. So I tried to do that. Yeah, I think you were very successful in that. You even, you made the, the punny joke of, you know, those things are kind of wedded together. Yeah. Yeah, they are wedded. And they really are. They're, I'm mm-hmm. thinking they're intertwined in a way that can't be separated. Mm-hmm. And, um, but even even that phrase in uh, our lexicon, when we talk, uh, those two things are wedded, and we're just talking about cars or, you know, uh, anything other than marriage. Right. <clears throat> to say that something is that closely connected points to the very thing that we're talking about, which is that marriage has a dimension that transcends itself. And that's by design. So we can't just talk about the transcendent thing without talking about the concrete thing. It's a little bit like church without a sacrament. Hmm. Yeah, and you can't talk about the concrete thing in this case without... Without considering the raising our horizon so right. to speak to the thing beyond right yeah the, which we I couldn't really um, delve deeply into sort of our union with Christ and like the mechanics of that but those are important truths that people need to understand um it may be the best way to live the Christian life is by understanding what it means to be united to Christ. Hmm. And marriage is certainly, uh, you could find far worse jumping off point than to think about human marriage. Yeah. I'm going off a little bit here, but do, do you think that that's the tie-in then to Hebrews? Hebrews 1? The, where the author of Hebrews refers to Psalm 45. Right. Because there's a Hebrews is, I I wouldn't say that it's focused on the marriage relationship per se between the church and in Christ, but it is that relationship of Christ to His bride is kind of there in the background, if you will, of Hebrews with Him being the priest and like there's a relational aspect that comes through and through and through. The relational aspect in particular coming through in Hebrews chapter 2 where he's, make like, he's made like unto his brother, brethren. And then in, in Hebrews chapter 8, our great high priest who shares our humanity is, has passed through the heavens and is seated transcendently beyond this fallen world on a throne of grace, which is Hebrews 4, which is the only way we can make it through the sufferings of this life. And it's failing to, this is me kind of giving you a thumbnail sketch of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. It's our failure to see 
that transcendent God, man, on a throne of grace. It's when we take our eyes off of him or our union is weakened that we're tempted to turn aside, which is the warning in every single chapter in Hebrews. Don't turn aside from the faith. So yeah, I think union with Christ is the message of Hebrews. Um, but you do have to, you have to go, if, if a barge has to go through a lock because the levels of two rivers aren't the same, you got to go through a couple of locks or if you're portaging, if you're on a canoe trip, you portage from one lake to the next. It's a couple of portages to get from the theme of union with Christ in Hebrews to sort of that very earthy biblical metaphor, you know, the yeah. earthy metaphor of marriage. Yeah, it was a little grasping at, at straws, but, no, but it, my mind went there from a relational aspect yeah. because yeah. what other earthly relationship really is more important mm -hmm. than between a husband and a wife mm -hmm. in marriage. So if that is, and we've, we see it throughout the scriptures that God uses the covenant of marriage to help us mm -hmm. not only understand, but to really, um, it's integral. Like it's built, it's built right. into us. You know, you, you mentioned it's, it's part of creation, you know, mm -hmm. just as you were saying, um, before we got started, every atom has made by God written on it, essentially. Right. Right. So, too, that relationship that we have with Christ as his bridegroom in the church is on everything. Mm -hmm. And so, if that's so integral, then I feel like all other relational aspects with Christ have to kind of, they ultimately kind of mm -hmm. channel back in, into that in mm -hmm. a way. Good point. Um, building on that, and a little, a little bit of an interesting aside, I would say there's two key relationships, biblical relationships, which help us understand, two key human relationships, which help us understand our relationship with God, marriage being one, the second being that of, between a father and a son. So um, both are primal or um, basal in the divine being and um, I guess created by God as realities in our experience for the purpose of teaching us about him. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So Hebrews does pick up on the father-son theme. The book of Hebrews does in, in some pretty amazing ways. Um, Christ as son is um, is a key point of the book of Hebrews. He's the son. And Hebrews tells us what kind of son he is and why that makes a difference for our lives. Right. So though marriage doesn't take a prominent emphasis in the book of Hebrews, sonship does. And... Um, the interesting aside here is that I've heard women complain about the sonship language of the Bible as being exclusive to their experience as sort of engendered females. 
um, but not many women complain about our difficulty in approaching God as a bride hmm. as engendered males hmm. but though the father-son relationship gets a little more ink in, in the Bible I do think they're, <coughs> they're both equally important in understanding God and we're impoverished in our understanding of God if, if we don't uh, you don't have to be um, a son, in other words, in order to appreciate God the Father. Neither do you have to be married necessarily to appreciate the, the bridegroom. But um, it goes both ways. We, all humans have trouble understanding the divine being. It isn't just men or women. Yeah. It's because we're not divine. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> I've already, I've already pulled this off topic enough as it is. Yeah. We don't need to. Yeah, that, that's a different podcast and a different religion, but do, do, <laughs> do bring us back. Yeah, well, we were trying to talk about the, loves, the love song that is Psalm 45, and I got us down a Hebrews you did. tangent. So my apologies um, for that. But um, getting back to Psalm 45, um, you know, your sermon and, and your third point in particular in your sermon um, was um, try. I'm trying to recap here for, for maybe those listeners who didn't get a chance to listen to it yet your kind of the framework for your sermon was the idea of bringing into focus who this perfect king is in Psalm 45 yes. and so at first we we see that the, the perfect king um is kind of upheld by God, essentially. Mm -hmm. And his power and his mercy and his might all come from God himself. Mm -hmm. And then we see his his bride, who's utterly devoted to him. That was kind of your second mm -hmm. point. And your third point is, well, essentially, who is, who is this perfect king? Because we were led to believe it's Solomon this whole time, or some other king, most likely Solomon. But Solomon's not a king forever, and clearly the psalmist here is speaking of a different king, not just Solomon. Yeah, so the third point was the, the perfect king has an eternal name. Right. So I phrased it that way to, to say exactly what you're saying. It, it brings us to the breaking point. Right. And where, where things click into <clears throat> focus mm -hmm. in the psalm as to what, who are we actually talking about here. Mm -hmm. And what are the implications of that? So I went that roundabout way to, to bring up the idea of the Christological nature of this psalm. Um, and some scholars would argue that that would be reading into the, the text something that isn't there explicitly, or that's the church adding something, a layer onto it after the fact and that that really isn't there. It wasn't intended to be there. The original audience wouldn't have read it that way. It wasn't meant that way by the author of the psalm, which may be, you know, true to an extent, but we believe all scriptures God breathed. And so, you know, God uses this um, for his church throughout all of history, not just for the original listeners mm -hmm. of the psalm or even readers of the psalm. Um, but wh why... You know, why did you go down that path? How would you disagree with someone who would say, well, you're just reading, mm -hmm. you're inserting Christ here, mm -hmm. where he, where 
not that he doesn't belong to be, but it's not there mm-hmm. by its nature, by the words that are on the page. Mm-hmm. What, what are your That's What are your great. thoughts with that? Because I'm sure you you thought through that in your prep. Yeah, it's a great question. I think what you're asking is, are we? Is the person who reads his or her Bible <coughs> warranted in reading Psalm 45 as portraying Christ hmm. or as, as pointing to Christ? Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. Is it, um, should we see that extremely, does it take a a pastor with multiple Bible degrees to determine that Christ is the king that that's being referenced mm. here, number one? Is that a stretch? Is that a leap? Mm. Um, I don't think that it is, just for the record. I'm mm. not trying to set you up in a yeah. in a in a conversation where that's adversarial or, or anything like that. But I'm just curious as to in your prep and with the spirits leading in your preaching you, you know, that was a clear connection mm-hmm. for you. That was the whole sermon. Yeah. It was Jesus is the perfect king. Right. And we are his bride. Right. And the Bible talks about that explicitly right. in the New Testament. Um, and we've already talked about how the Bible throughout, really from the garden, talks about marriage and, and the importance of that covenantal relationship. But when you're looking at Psalm 45, it's the only love song in the Psalms in this way and there's this interesting aspect of well who is the king that that's being referred to mm-hmm. here so how do you get to to Christ mm-hmm. and should I don't want to say should that but you know in your opinion when you were prepping and when you preached a sermon that's that's the connection that you mm-hmm. made so I guess I'm yeah. just trying to peel back the curtain a little bit mm-hmm. and understand well if I read Psalm 45 on Saturday, should I have, no, how would I have noticed that? Why would someone not go there? Because I think it's a clear connection, good, like yeah. you, but someone might not see that so not clearly or, or disagree to some extent. I don't know if I clarified my no, question that's, at all. That's good. That's good. In, in, so a Christian should bring some things to his or her reading of the Bible, some, some assumptions or a prioris, some priors, mm-hmm. some presuppositions. And this isn't the space to talk about what all of them should be, but there's a, you know, the Bible isn't just a book that you can pick up from Barnes and Noble and just start reading, you know, the latest, uh, uh, you know, Mitch Rapp story. Right. Um, there's a way to read the Bible. So here's one way that you need to read the Bible. Whenever you see a king, you are to think of God. God's the first king. So we didn't, the Bible presents itself as a document that, that believes this. 
whether you believe it or not is, is another matter. But the Bible, and this is true of all the individual books of the Bible, sort of jointly, separately, but also the Bible as a collection, the canon of Scripture, the 39 books of the Old Testament in this case, makes this claim jointly, as, as a collection that makes this king claim that God is a king. Mm-hmm. But it isn't just saying that God is a king. The Bible is claiming, the Psalms claim, Psalm 45 makes this claim, Genesis makes this claim, that the thing we call a king, we only call it a king because God is the first king. So the thing that you and I call a king or we think about when we think about a king, whether it's, you know, King George III or Princess Diana or, you know, whoever, another, you know, the, the, the king of Saudi Arabia, um, only shares in some aspects. It's a partial reflection of God the king. God's the original king. So there... Uh, you know, I'm told that arteries send blood to the tissues and veins pump it back. And veins have valves on it to keep it going from backwards. Um, this is a one-way street, and you got to get the direction right. Otherwise, mm. you're going to get a ticket in your Bible reading. We didn't look at kings and say, oh, since this world seems really big and amazing, and I couldn't have done it myself then there must be some thing out there that did it. We'll call that thing a divine being. And since the most powerful person I know is a king, we'll say that that divine being is a king. And let's write this down in a psalm. Right. That's the wrong way. You get a Bible ticket for reading the Bible that way. The Bible wants you to read it. Again, you may reject the Bible altogether, but this is how the Bible asks you to read it. God is the primal, original king, and everything we know about kingship is a derivative and a poor photocopy of that original. So when you come to Psalm 45, that was a little lesson in, mm-hmm. in hermeneutics, how, how we interpret. You see a story, a, a purportedly a love story, of a marriage ceremony between a king and his bride. You're to look at this story and to see the ways in which it does and doesn't encapsulate the primal kingship of God, which has never not existed. There was a time when there were no humans and no human kings. But God has always existed in what we now know of retroactively, because he told us this, going all the way back to when time began and then before there was time. Mm -hmm. The thing that we appreciate and understand and conceptualize as kingship which we are now calling kingship, has always been true of God. Right. So you can't read about kings in the Bible anywhere, whether it's David committing adultery with Bathsheba, which is a negative example, or David defeating Goliath, which is a positive example, or the wedding of Solomon and the the daughter of Pharaoh, which um, maybe isn't what this psalm is describing. It's describing some wedding between a king and, and a bride. Um, that's what Calvin said, and so I just conveniently adopted it because it's less abstract. So I want to put what I don't necessarily think it's Solomon, 
but I'm using my imagination saying it could be Solomon. Yeah. Let's just talk about it as if it's Solomon because it's going to be hard to preach this for a mom with a baby on her knee if we can't put some names and faces to this thing. So, and it could very well be Solomon. It could be. could be. Ophir doesn't show up all that often. No, it doesn't. In Scripture, yeah, as so, far as I remember. Yeah. So. Well, Ophir is a nice place to hang Solomon's hat. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about my little hermeneutics? No, I think there? I think it's very helpful um, and true. Like the Bible itself has a priori assumptions built in built into it. To your point, right. and so we need to understand what those are if we're to understand right. what the Bible's saying. Do you like that one about getting a Bible reading ticket? <laughs> I, I made that up myself. That. I want to know who is the who has jurisdiction to offer these tickets, ah. and um, how do you get one of those nifty um, get FOP jail? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need wow. one of those. Wow, that that just set my brain going in many directions. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that, I think that's very helpful. I think that also um, ties back into where we started this conversation, where you have a thread here between an actual marriage and this love story. And then the marriage, um, metaphor, if you will, between Christ and the church. And those things are tied together Mm -hmm. here. And if you were to get those, I prioritize wrong, you're going to be inclined to lean one way or the other Mm -hmm. pretty heavily. You'll see that, that the church put, Christ into this psalm. Right. Is, or is, that Christ isn't in the psalm or whatsoever. Is, well, hence, we got to put him in there. Right. Like he's a, he's a little crash scene, that little nativity scene where uh, we used to have a game that got played at Mercy Hill. Some people are fonder of the uh, the crash and, and, and than, than others. And baby Jesus would somehow disappear depending on who who got there first, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but Jesus doesn't have to be put into Psalm 45 because the king is already there. And Jesus is the eternal son of God. There never was a time and he didn't exist. And so when he appears as the incarnate king, which is what the wise men came seeking, mm-hmm. you know, the great irony of the Christmas story is that the wise men come to so-called King Herod asking for the king. Right. You you couldn't craft a a, a more uh, painful insult than that. It'd be like someone coming to me and saying, "Who's the pastor of this church?" I'm like, "I am." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With your big pastor label on your shirt. Yeah. Giant cross. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, my, the the point being that. If you don't get those right off the bat, then you're either going to insert Jesus, like you were saying, mm-hmm. or what I was trying to say is you might vehemently argue that Jesus is not to be inserted into this at all. And it's just a... What about the other problem, though, if, if it's only Jesus and there's no uh, human context because that that would be more in you know in our circles, yeah. people could argue that this is just an allegory, meaning 
there was no Solomon and his bride in view at all. Yeah. I think that um, the challenge there for me is why well one I don't I don't th- I don't think that case holds water in the text itself meaning um, because of the dis- the some of the description you'd have to make some pretty large leaps in the metaphor to make that all fit together nicely you know like I think it makes more sense to say to read it how you read it or interpret it how you did um, as opposed to the other way around where mm-hmm. it's only about Jesus because now you're well why did why are they talking about Ophir at mm-hmm. all why are they talking about a lot of the things that the psalmist is talking about you know like now you're now you have to make a lot of leaps mm-hmm. to figure out well what is that imagery even there for what is that it doesn't make any sense now mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. um, so there's that aspect of it but even beyond that just from a practical perspective I don't think that that carries as much um, teaching and learning for the church to be honest with you like if if the word of God is for his people to profit from to learn about who God is and how to be his loyal subjects Mm -hmm. then you know I don't think it's a leap to then say well scripture certainly doesn't serve us we're not to like make up whatever we want for our own purposes but at the same time I do think that God has authored the scriptures for the best for our best interest in that regard you know and that means that we talk about things that are hard to talk about we learn that we're horrible sinners and our hearts are deceitful we learn that we need to die to ourselves like there's a lot of not easy things to hear in the word of God but I also do think that that means that those are the things that we need to hear and so God does use these mortal men as authors who penned this collection of books for the benefit of the church throughout all of history and therefore there is a right way to read it it's not again right make it up as you go along for whatever i think is going to help me the most right now so um that was very well put to use to put a little more succinctly not that i'm known for my succinctness but to use that an uh, illustration of a of a Bible reading ticket, not a Bible speeding ticket, but a Bible reading ticket. You're not going to get a speeding a Bible reading ticket by only seeing Christ in Psalm 45. You're going to get a warning, hmm. or maybe a raised eyebrow. You know, a pastoral raised eyebrow. It sounds like I'm the one writing the ticket at this point to answer your question <laughs> earlier. Uh, I didn't know I had this power. Um, but so or maybe a raised eyebrow a caution that and a mere allegory without kind of an earthy salt of the earth kind of grounded context 
in our human experience like a real marriage between a real king and a real bride is a little easier to ignore so be careful hmm. um, but it's not wrong like with a capital W like the other one is right right so you'll get a warning not a ticket right you get a warning or just a raised eyebrow which may feel like a warning to some people coming from you yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're almost at our time for the day Phil is there anything else that you wanted to maybe close with other thoughts as usual we could have spent another couple hours talking about this we could We'll save well, some for the next time you preach yeah, Psalm 45. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do want to commend people to the sermon. I think there's uh, my wife's critique of the message. She, she liked it. Uh, she felt that there could be a little more application. So I'd encourage people to listen to it. And um, in, in I'll say this and then my, my one other thing. So I'll take two for the price of one. Um, I want to encourage and remind people that when I make application, I'm not trying to do the work for you. I'm trying to get you started. So I mentioned human marriage, and I mentioned um, singleness, and I mentioned sanctification. But there's a lot more that a careful and earnest listener could could take from those suggested applications mm. and they're just suggestive you know it's a it's it's an appetizer it it's a way that the sermon can feed you all week is by you by a listener taking the applications that i make and making much of them um i some of my favorite feedback on a message is oh when you're preaching i thought of this and sometimes it comes in the form of, oh, when you're preaching a thought of this, why didn't you say that? And I said, I, I will sometimes say with like a twinkle in my eye or a half smile, I'll say, I didn't need to. You did. You know, it's not my job to think all uh, of all these things. Mm-hmm. Like you were actually playing your part in the message. In that sense, it's a, it's a group effort where I kind of get the ball rolling. And, and then, you, you know, your, your brain is firing. You know, and as you're looking off in the distance, I'm not worried that you're not listening. You know, whether you're thinking about your shopping list or your fantasy football league, I have no idea. But a good listener is going to be thinking about things besides what I'm saying as the word is kind of worming its way down into our heart in in special ways. So, but uh, one thing I didn't say that's an implication of the message, maybe more implication than application, is the public nature of love and marriage in Psalm 45 and how valuable that is versus um, to say uh, bastardized, to say mutated, to say shrunken. These are vivid terms that suggest our understanding of marriage and love as purely private 
and personal and individualized not only is exactly opposite Psalm 45, hmm. but it is exactly what the problem is in relationships today. So read Psalm 45. And again, here, we don't have time to kind of open this all up and fillet it out and debone it and feed it to you. But read, read Psalm 45 and think about the public nature of love and marriage in this psalm. And think of it as a, as a paradigm for every single relationship. Every single romantic relationship needs to be public, like Psalm 45 is public. And when I say public, I guess that, that begs a question. Um, you know, what do I mean by public? Without going into all of it, I'll commend an article that a, a recent article that uh, uh, Aaron Wren in his um, in his podcast shared recently, December 1st, 2022, Michael Toscano at the American Conservative, the once in future marriage. As conservatives pursue family policy, they should strive to resurrect the idea of public marriage. Hmm. So... Uh, maybe read that essay alongside Psalm 45 and give it some thought. We can add a link to that. Sure. In the notes. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot to chew on there. Uh, I think we've turned relationships into commodities in a lot of ways. And this psalm kind of speaks mm -hmm. to the exact opposite mm -hmm. of that. Well... When you say commodity, I, I guess I, I think of the word public good. And so I know, I know you meant I was something. thinking personal good. Yeah. So, is what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Exactly so, that. So we've turned it into um, almost a, an, ex, an exchange of what's the value I'm getting, mm -hmm. which makes it very, very personal, and to your point, the exact opposite of public. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, back to your point in your sermon about, you know, you look at the devotion of the bride, and you, you mentioned it multiple times, you know, you have the, the husband or the man in Genesis 2 leaving his family, and mm -hmm. then here in Psalm 45, you have the, the wife, leaves wife leaving. And that's a personal thing, but that's also a very public Thing. Right, you know. Right. So there's a lot of things going right. on here. Obviously, but the, not going to unpack them all. But one of the public aspects of Psalm 45 is the importance of children. So getting back to how we read the Bible, we're not allowed to say the reason children are important in the Bible. Like, let me say, rephrase it. You can say whatever you want, but the Bible does not allow you to say the reason children are important is because we live in a pre-industrial agrarian economy. Hmm. You're not allowed to say that when you read the Bible. You can reject it and say the Bible is wrong, but the Bible wants you to believe that it's right. And the Bible's view is that children are not merely or only or directly, necessarily directly connected to a pre-industrial agrarian economy children are connected to marriage per se. 
So marriage itself is a public contract with children as a non-negotiable component. Hmm. And um, the exceptions that prove the rule are unmarried persons, divorced persons, infertile couples, um, and child abuse. They're all exceptions that, that don't disprove what I just said. They, they actually wind up underscoring the essential nature of children to the uh, reality of marriage. And Psalm 45 makes that point in verse uh, 16 and 17. Hmm. So um, that maybe puts a little bit more specificity and possibly controversy on what I mean by the public nature of marriage. We'll listen the show right now. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Before we dig too deep of a hole. But there's still hey, a lot of meat on this bone, Tim. Yes, yes. The uh, the fat bird still has plenty of dark meat left to, uh, to pick apart. Um, going back to your turkey on the charcoal grill, that sounds... Sounds good. Hopefully, uh, we could take some of the remnants here and turn them into some good leftover sandwiches at a, another point off air follow up conversation. Um, and encourage you guys um, who have not listened to Phil's sermon from yesterday on Psalm 45, The Perfect King, to go ahead and check that out on our other podcast channel. Um, we'll link to it here as well. Um, and, and talk about it. You know, I mean, we get. The, the privilege or the opportunity to do this because we've chosen to, but it, it's a, something I look forward to. It gives us a chance to um, spend more time thinking about what you've preached, thinking about God's word. Um, doesn't mean it has to just be two guys with microphones and, and headphones doing that. Definitely so um, we encourage you, um, whether you're part of our church or another church and you happen to find this, to talk about it with somebody. And if you would want to talk to us about it, we'd love to have you on a future episode. We're always <laughs> all ears and open doors mm -hmm. for guests, um, mostly because Phil uh, grows weary of my company. So, mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, we'll we'll continue to to pump these out as the weeks go forward. The the beautiful thing is that we're never short on content because there's always the next week's sermon. So that's true. It's it's built in. I have to do very little work as the um, the quote unquote producer of this podcast, coming up with the uh, the content for our episodes. Mm. So, I look forward to our conversation next week. Um, and as always, we uh, we pray that you'll be good till then. And uh, if you have questions or um, want to know more about anything we've talked about, please feel free to reach out to us, and we'd be happy to have that conversation with you. Any last things to add, Phil? No, just I love this new equipment. You didn't really mention that, but we're we're in this we're we're still in my study. But we have fancy microphones and headphones and computer thing. Fake, fake it till you make it. Yeah, Phil. that's that's my motto. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, hope, I hope the listeners appreciate that, and if they want to send. Um, uh, eBay gift cards or <laughs> Starbucks uh, uh, gold I'll, star I'd, points. I'd settle for um, tips and tricks would probably be helpful. Okay. People who are much smarter than uh, me. If you okay. know what you're doing, please come tell me how to do it. There you go. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. But thanks for uh, setting us up for the win here. 
Thank you for the wonderful conversation.